Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we concluded our examination of Jason Sheffield's closing on behalf of Travis McMichael. In this episode, we take a look at Lara Hoag's closing argument on behalf of Greg McMichael. That's all coming up after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As Lara Hogue begins her closing, she seems to echo a sentiment expressed by another defense attorney in this trial, Bob Rubin, when he suggested that his client, Travis McMichael, had acted out of duty and responsibility to himself, to his family, and to his neighborhood. Hogue's first statements to the jury invoke a very specific idea of what being a dutiful and responsible neighbor means. My father worked for almost 50 years as a life insurance salesman. Not because he liked it, because he didn't. He did it because he had three kids that he wanted to see grow up in a neighborhood that was safe and secure. A safe home surrounded by a community of neighbors who cared for each other. Band-aids for skinned knees, July 4th parties, block parties that went on for hours, crocheted baby blankets when a new child was born, casseroles when we'd lost a loved one. He worked hard day and night to provide those things for the people that he loved. Larry English was a contractor in Douglas, Georgia, who worked hard every day to provide for his wife and two children and to save for his dream to live on the water in a neighborhood just like that, safe, secure, filled with people who would care for each other. And when he became ill, he and his wife, Amy, had to fast forward their dreams. They fast forwarded that retirement dream, bought that land, and began working on their dream home. The project of building that home in Satilla Shores. It's the sort of life we all have the right to seek the safety and security and comfort of people that we care about and who care about us. We work hard for our stuff. It's ours and no one has the right to take it. 
And we should never, ever have to fear intruders. The police can be counted on to help, to respond, but they can't be everywhere and they can't be everything. A good neighborhood is always policing itself. Uh, Mr. Moore, you really need to put a fence around that swimming pool. I'm worried a child will fall in. Mrs. Pennock, <laughs> Bobby is flying down Crossbrook Drive again in that new car. You have to talk with him and get him to slow down so no one is hurt. The police can't be everywhere and in a safe, secure neighborhood, police are helped by those neighbors. Officer Rash testified, neighbors help neighbors and neighbors help the police. There are really only two questions for you to answer to reach your verdict in the charges that the state has brought against Greg McMichael. Did Greg McMichael have reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion to believe that Ahmad Arbery had committed a burglary at 220 Satilla Drive? And did he have reasonable and probable grounds to believe that Ahmad Arbery was escaping or attempting to escape yet again on February 23rd? It is a nine count indictment. So why only two questions? Well, I want to suggest to you what the state suggested, but in reverse. I'd like to suggest a methodical, efficient way to think about all this law and all these charges. I suggest that you begin at the beginning. Count one, malice murder. And then take all the rest of those counts, two through nine, as one big chunk as you consider these important questions. Even count one, that malice murder count, is defended by the answers to those questions. But with malice murder, I suggest to you, you don't even have to get to those questions. Greg McMichael pulled no trigger. How could the state seek a conviction for malice murder as Greg stood in the bed of the pickup truck on the phone with 911 as the fatal shots were fired. As a party to the crime, Ms. Dunikoski told you about the law that the judge will give you. If someone intentionally helps or aids or procures or hires or assists in the commission of a crime, they can be as guilty as the principal, as the person who fired the shots. But what is so very different about count one is that it's malice murder. It requires the desire and the intent to kill, the deliberate intention to take the life of another human being. Where all of the circumstances of the killing show that an individual acted with an abandoned and malignant heart. The state will have to be asking you to find that Greg McMichael advised or encouraged Travis McMichael 
his son to take the life of Ahmad Arbery because that's what he wanted to do. For no reason other than to see that young man die. And to see him die at the hands of his own son. And to do it right there in front of his eyes. Because the God keeps breaking into that house down the street. That's the level of criminal intent. The level of depravity, heartlessness, sickness that you would need to find beyond a reasonable doubt to find Greg McMichael guilty of malice murder. That's why I suggest that you begin with count one and quickly dispatch of it with a not guilty verdict. And then move down to the remaining counts, counts two through nine, because it comes down to this. If Greg McMichael was authorized by law to attempt to execute a citizen's arrest, to try to detain Ahmad Arbery for the police to come and do their job, to try to keep peace and safety within that neighborhood, then they were within the law to hold him there for the police. How else does one hold an individual who does not want to be arrested for the police? You have to contain him, not false imprison him, contain him. You have to possibly hold him at gunpoint without firing a shot, not an aggravated assault, but the use of a reasonable and measured amount of force to make him stay where he did not want to stay. So if they were acting within the law, in trying to execute a citizen's arrest, to detain Ahmaud Arbery for the police, then Travis had every single right to defend himself when Ahmaud Arbery inexplicably took that sharp left turn at the right front of the truck, seeking to disarm Travis McMichael. So, who's gotta prove what? We begin as we always begin in a courtroom, with innocence. And we stay there unless and until the state proves to you that this was not a citizen's arrest and that Travis was not justified in defending himself against Ahmad Arbery's attack. And they have to convince you of that. You have to have no hesitation, no ambivalence, absolute certainty. It's the highest level of proof we ever ask for in a courtroom. We will allow Prosecutor Dunikowski to address most of Lara Hoag's arguments in her rebuttal closing. However, it is important to point out that with these statements, Hoag significantly misrepresents the definition of reasonable doubt. In Judge Timothy Walmsley's jury instructions, which he wrote and discussed with the attorneys before their closing arguments and then delivered to the jury after the closings and rebuttal concluded, he said the following. The burden of proof rests upon the state to prove every material allegation of the indictment and every essential element of the crimes charged beyond a reasonable doubt. However, the state is not required to prove the guilt of the accused beyond all doubt or to a mathematical certainty. A reasonable doubt means just what it says. It is a doubt of a fair-minded, impartial juror 
honestly seeking the truth. It is a doubt based upon common sense and reason. It does not mean a vague or arbitrary doubt, but it is a doubt for which a reason can be given arising from a consideration of the evidence or lack of evidence, a conflict in the evidence, or any combination of these. We will be back with more of Laura Hoag's closing argument on behalf of Greg McMichael right after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Lara Hogue focuses the next portion of her closing argument on the circumstances in which the killing of another human being is legally justified. The court will tell you when they say murder and the facts raise justification, and the judge will tell you justification is self-defense, justification is citizen's arrest. That when the facts are raised, to support those defenses, that the state has to disprove them that you were justified. But why? Why is the standard so incredibly high? And the answer is something you witnessed in this very courtroom. Even in science, errors can happen. And without diligent investigation and inquiry, people can be convicted on the slightest errors, stripped of their freedom for another's inattention or mistakes. Imagine if Dr. Donahue, with all that experience, who made the conclusion that the muzzle to target range, the end of Travis's shotgun to the chest of Ahmad Arbery was four feet away. Imagine if that initial conclusion had been all you knew in this case. And further imagine if Dr. Donahue was not an honorable scientist, if he wasn't willing to admit he'd made a mistake and take another look at the science. So that instead of three to four feet, we now know it's contact or three inches, as opposed to four feet. That is a demonstration to you why the system has to work this way, why the state has such a high burden with evidence that leaves absolutely no reason to doubt before any one of you can consider declaring that a man seeking to protect himself and his community is a murderer. The state's case demonstrated what Mr. Hope told you in opening statement. He told you Greg McMichael was absolutely certain and he was absolutely right. You know that the very first words out of Greg McMichael's mouth 
is that there was no doubt in his mind as to who this guy was. He told Officer Brandeberry that, and it was captured on the body cam that you saw. And later, in, interviewed at the Glynn County Police Department by Parker Marcy, that investigator told you, here's his statement, here's what he told me. I watched him, and when he came by me, I got a good, really good look at him. So I mean, it's the same guy. And it was Ahmad Arbery on the video. He was an intruder. Larry English had reported because he believed that an intruder had taken thousands of dollars of boat equipment off the offshore boat that had been parked in his RV parking garage. It was Ahmad Arbery returning night after night without authority to a place where valuables were stored with no legitimate reason for being there. And it was Ahmad Arbery, as Greg McMichael told immediately after being questioned, who had hauled ass from that house on February 23rd after he'd looked through the window at Matt Albenze on the phone that he ran. Add all that knowledge, that certainty, to what he learned when Travis jumped into the truck after having seen Matt Albenze standing in front of 220 Satilla Drive and pointing down that street. That the man that Travis McMichael had seen only 11 days earlier with his own eyes and then slowly pulled up alongside so that he could confirm for himself, that's right, this is the guy. And the judge will tell you, did they have a reasonable and probable cause to believe that this was the guy? And you can know, and the judge will tell you, that you gather that from every sense that you have. Your hearing, your sight, your sense of what's going on around you. Certainty, though, is a way higher standard than what you even need to find in this case. Certainty was way more knowledge than they needed to detain Ahmad Arbery to execute a citizen's arrest. And that was Greg McMichael's intent. He said it from the very beginning. He was asked by the investigator, Parker Marcy testified to you. What was your intent had he stopped? And he said as clear as a bell, hold him for the police so that he could be arrested. The judge will charge you that a private citizen can effectuate an arrest, detaining someone for the police to arrive if a crime happens within his knowledge or his immediate presence. So here's what you have to know, that you haven't yet heard from the state. There are no magic words that are required. The court will tell you there's nothing special you have to say to be effectuating a citizen's arrest. If it happens within your knowledge or immediate presence, 
then you can effectuate a citizen's arrest and criminal trespass, the court will tell you, going on someone's property without the authority and for an unlawful purpose is a crime, the misdemeanor offense of citizen's arrest. And again, what you haven't heard from the state and got some misdirection about, there's no requirement, Judge Walmsley will tell you, for a posting of a no trespassing sign. There's no requirement that any officer execute this trespass warning. It's your place and people should stay off it. We don't need to be telling people ahead of time and giving them warnings if you don't want to. And he'll also charge you that a private citizen can effectuate an arrest, detaining someone for the goal of holding them for the police if he has reasonable grounds of suspicion to believe that a suspect is fleeing or attempting to flee from a felony. Burglary is a felony. Entering a dwelling place without authority with the intent to commit a theft in there. Not an actual theft, but the reason, the mindset for going into a place that's not yours. So how do you know that if there wasn't actually an, a theft? Judge Walmsley will tell you. The law will allow you to infer an intent to steal. If there's an unlawful entry, meaning crossing into a place that's not yours, a place where valuables are stored, and you heard testimony that plenty of valuables were stored at 220 Satilla Drive, and no other apparent motive for being there. That means every single time Ahmad Arbery goes into that house, he is committing a burglary. But you hardly needed a jury instruction to tell you that. Coming into someone else's house at night where it's pitch dark repeatedly, even after you've been run off, into a place where an offshore boat is holding expensive equipment, the intruder comes in, and sometime after that intruder has left, your stuff is gone. Reasonable grounds of suspicion is nothing more than probable cause. And probable cause, as Mr. Sheffield and the court will tell you, are facts necessary to establish a probability more likely than not. It's less than certainty, but it's more than mere suspicion. So think of it this way. If Officer Rash had been on one of his patrols in Satilla Shores on February 23rd at about 1.08 p.m., and as he turned onto Satilla Drive, he saw Matt Albenze, who he'd already met, uh, standing in front of 220 Satilla Drive, just signaling down that street. And down that street, high-tailing it, is Ahmaud Arbery, the man that 
Officer Rash has seen on those video cameras over and over again. So if he saw and heard what these men did, he too would have had probable cause to arrest Ahmad Arby for the crime of burglary. There's no doubt he would have put on his sirens and tried to stop Ahmad Arbery. And there's no doubt after the events of February 11th that Officer Rash would have had his gun at the ready and not taken any chances. And I suspect in your minds, there would be no doubt that Ahmad Arbery would have known exactly why he was being chased. Because there can be little doubt as well that Ahmaud Arbery knew exactly why the McMichaels were trying to detain him on February 23rd. The truth of life is that it's very complicated. A beautiful teenager with a broad smile in a crooked baseball cap can go astray. He can deteriorate and lose his way. And years later, he can end up creeping into a home that is not his own and running away instead of facing the consequences, acting erratically when approached and making terrible, unexpected, illogical choices. But a mother's love doesn't fade from that beautiful boy in the ball cap to the young intruder. And sadly, no verdict can change the grief of that future not realized. The hope that he could have turned himself around. Because all we can guess about the young man is that his teenage years were full of promise, but his early 20s just led him in the wrong direction. The facts presented in this trial bear no resemblance to the story that the state told you in opening statement. A 25-year-old who met a brutal death after being chased and killed by residents of a neighborhood who wanted nothing more than to murder him for having the audacity to jog in their neighborhood. Not a single piece of evidence that's been presented to you in this entire trial supports such a hateful and gruesome set of circumstances. Turning Ahmad Arbery into a victim after the choices that he made does not reflect the reality of what brought Ahmad Arbery to Satilla Shores in his khaki shorts with no socks to cover his long, dirty toenails. You could probably hear someone audibly gasp, wow, after that statement by Lara Hogue. The clip made international news, with many condemning the insensitivity of the remark. Ahmad Arbery's mother, Wanda Cooper-Jones, made the following statement. I didn't expect them to go that low. I'll just say this. 
regardless of how long and how dirty his toenails were. That's still my son, and he didn't deserve to die the way that he died. On episode 24 of this podcast, Georgia-based radio talk show host and political activist Dr. Rashad Ritchie said the following about Lara Hoag's remark. We felt that in the gut when that happened. We felt that in the gut. It made me so angry. It It pissed me off that anyone would describe a victim that way. Period. Really pissed me off. And I remember going to sleep that night, thinking about how I'm going to attack this on my radio show the next day. And I said, you know, when I thought about it, I said, you know, as pissed off as I am about the characterization of a dead person, maybe other members of the jury didn't like it also. And maybe they feel a little bit like I feel about that characterization. And maybe that entire statement has actually sealed the deal to convict these killers. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us in our next episode as we examine the conclusion of Laura Hoag's closing argument on behalf of Greg McMichael. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. <laughs>